Well, I want to welcome everybody, especially those of you uh, online and, and watch it on TV. Uh, the reason being is, uh, hi, mom and dad. Uh, and and uh, you, many of you have heard the stories of, of talking about my dad. And just to give you a quick update, uh, he's at home and, and recovering. But uh, hi, mom and dad. And hi, everybody all over the world who, who are tuning in. This is a big deal because uh, what a great thing that we are able to do to gather together wherever we are and to lean in to what does God have to share with me right now. Um, it's amazing. Um, if you are planning, by the way, to be at well, to be at one of the physical locations that we have as Fountain Springs Church, uh, I'm going to give you some insider info and like insider stuff. No one, okay, there are people that know this, sorry. It's not, but uh, we are running out of tickets for certain services. So if you've been waiting, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get it eventually. Uh, you might want to do it right now and get tickets. Uh, they're free but you need to get tickets for the Christmas services. I do, by the way, want to take you into the Christmas story. And uh, the Christmas story being something very important, of course. And we've been talking about the Christmas story. You're like, what else is there to say about the Christmas story? So I want to show you one of my favorite accounts, uh, basically because it's written by one of my favorite people who I've never met. His name's Matthew. He got a book in the Bible. Uh, he's a big deal. Uh, gave one of my boys the middle name Matthew just because I love Matthew's take. I love how he describes Jesus. I love how he talks about him and, and where he comes from. And so I'm going to take you into Matthew's take on this. This is important. I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to land somewhere. This is how the birth of Jesus and the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I want to read that slowly. <laughs> That's a big deal. The angel of the Lord, and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. You're like, that's why they named him Jesus. Yeah, uh, because he will save his people from their sin. And now, here's where I really want to land, and we're going to talk about this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, through the prophet. You're like, okay, the prophet, cool, whoever that is. We're going to talk about that. Through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. What you may not know is he just gave you a nugget of hope. He just extracted something from history and said, I have something so profound that you need. This is why I love Matthew, because Matthew, his goal, I believe, again, I've not met him. Uh, his goal, I believe, is that you and I would get some hope from how he tells the story of Christmas. It wasn't just, here's some facts, do what you want. I think he had a very good agenda. It's why he referred to this word, Emmanuel. It's why he brought it up. Here's the definition. Many of you know this, but let me, Emmanuel means God with us. In his storyline of going, you gotta hear what happened at Christmas, it's amazing. I want to tell you a name about Jesus. I want to tell you what's happening. God is about to be with us. So if you read Matthew, and you especially this part of the story, you're going to be like, there's some hope there. Also, I want you to catch something. 
do you notice, and if you haven't read this, you can read all the accounts of Christmas, he brings up the Joseph stuff with some detail that's like, that's interesting. Why'd you do that? Because I believe Joseph gets news from his fiance that no fiance ever wants to get. I think Joseph landed at complete hopelessness for I'm not sure how long. Like, I don't know if it was like 15 minutes. I, don't th- I think it was more than that because it was at a dream. I don't think he always like, oh, I got the news. I'm sleeping now. No, there, there was some time elapsed there. So what I know is he was hopeless. Has a dream, angel in the dream, wakes up from the dream, has hope. I think this is the vibe that you and I are supposed to get from the story. That you can be hopeless and feel that, but you don't have to. You can actually find hope. You can actually get in whatever's going on, find a true, solid hope that Joseph didn't have, then he had, and it was all rooted in, if you didn't catch it, a promise. You got a promise. Going, hey, it's not another guy's baby. I know some of you are like, can we talk about Yes, it's not another guy's baby. She didn't cheat on you. In fact, there's a master plan where God's going to save all of mankind should they choose to believe. So there's a promise. So Joseph begins to hang on to a promise. And that somehow extracts him from hopelessness. A promise from God. Now, I told you I was keying on, on that, that, that Emmanuel part. That why does Matthew bring that up? And he, I don't know if you remember this still. I lose track all the time. Uh, He talked about there was a prophet, how he was alluding to something a prophet said. Well, what he was doing is he's in the New Testament. He's in the time of, well, Jesus and all that. And he begins to allude to something that happened 700 years previously. And in his writing about what happened to Jesus and how this all unfolded, he refers back to history 700 years ago. And you need to know what he was doing because it's a big deal. Go way back, way back. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. You, don't, you won't be tested on this, by the way. And don't fact check if I'm reading this right. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, were shaken. The hearts were shaken. They were terrified. They were scared. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, You look at that, and if you don't know the Bible, and if you don't know history all the way back to thousands of years ago, and if you don't know, like, geography is going, you're like, that's neat. No idea who that guy is, or that guy, or that guy, and that really doesn't mean a whole lot other than it appears to be some people are scared. Well, you need to know. Let me show you a map. Welcome to history class for a brief moment, just a brief moment. I promise you, it's just a brief moment. Scrap the words you just heard, and you're like, I don't understand. The northern part of Israel and Syria, this group of people are going to come attack these people. That's what I just read to you. So these group of people, two two different nations said, we want to attack this, and they're specifically going after Jerusalem. They want to destroy Jerusalem, take over Jerusalem. So this group of people are now gathered together, uniting in a way that they never would have united so that they could come destroy this. And so these people, what I read to you, what these people are doing, going, we're scared. 
When you're going to get attacked by one nation, that's one thing. But when two nations unite and say, we're coming after, you're immediately outnumbered. You're immediately intimidated. You're immediately facing going, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? That's what these people felt. They were shaken. In other words, all of a sudden, hope out the window. Well, it's apparent that their hope is out the window. These people in Judah going, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. Well, this is written in Isaiah, uh, the prophet, Isaiah, remember I talked about a prophet, that's what it said, that's what Matthew brought up, hey, the prophet said this, the prophet said, well, the prophet, if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet is basically someone who God's like, hey, I'm going to tell some people uh, through you what I want to say, so Isaiah gets all these words from God, like, hey, here, um, here's what what you need to do, begins to tell them things, Uh, let me show you scripture, Uh, now the house of David was told, Aram was allied itself with Ephraim. Yeah, yeah. So the hearts, and they're all shaken, right? The trees in the forest are shaken by the wind. So you're like, okay, they're about to go to war. There's a major thing playing out. So, so Isaiah's going, okay, God said, let me show you. What, let me show. So Satan, be careful. <laughs> Keep calm. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's like, hey, so there's some nations coming to kill you. Just, just chill. Yeah, you're outnumbered. Yeah, the numbers say uh, you're gone. I mean, like, keep calm. Some of you thought, I thought that was just a bumper sticker. No, it's in the Bible, I guess. Be careful. (laughs) Keep calm. And don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. If you want to know what's up, God just talked trash (laughs) through a prophet. If you're a trash talker, you're like, validation but that he he just called people like a piece of wood like this is this is awesome you don't seem to like it as much as I like talking trash I just think it's awesome so he's like hey don't don't be scared don't don't it, it's not it, it's gonna be okay the reason Isaiah has to relay this information from God to these people is because the people had lost hope. It's gone. My guess is you've been there before. I mean, it doesn't take as long as human beings to enter a stage where you lose a relationship, you lose a job, you lose an opportunity, you, you face circumstances where you're like, you know, I don't feel um, as courageous as I used to. Most of us have been to this place where we're going, I don't see a lot of hope here. I don't see a lot of opportunity here. You should be able to identify with Judah's going, "Uh, we're all going to die. It looks like you're going to die. It looks like all's going to fall apart. And all of a sudden, Isaiah says, hey, um, chill out. So let me ask you, how, how much hope do you think you have right now? Don't answer out loud. If you had to do a percentage right now, some of you are, you're distraught because of, of physical things, and you're like, I don't know how we're going to pay for that, or, or I don't know if I'm going to heal from this. Or, some of you, it's, it's a bit more relationship-oriented, right? And you're like, I don't have... So I would say most of us, listen, most of us do not have 100%. We're not feeling 100% on the hope spectrum. And if you study much, you'll learn that Globally, we're a mess when it comes to hope. I, I read about a movement. 
I don't know how much of a movement this is, but this is scary. What I'm about to say to you might sound like a joke at first, but it is not a joke whatsoever. In recent years, a new movement called I Wish I'd Never Been Born has started. Literally a movement where people have begun to look at their just very existence and say, I wish it never had happened. A movement, not an instance, a movement. One individual, uh, and I believe this is recent, wanted to make such a statement about this, at the age of 27 decided to sue his parents for bringing him into the world. Here's a quote from him. It was not our decision to be born. This is in his lawsuit. Human existence is totally pointless. If you want, to, if you want words to connect to hopelessness, I think, I think that describes it. And I think some of us may not be at that part where we say, well, that's a big deal, but we definitely wouldn't say we're at 100% full of hope. Meanwhile, the Christmas story lands for us and is trying to help us like, walk this out to where you don't have to fake hope. Let's go back. Huh. I'm going to let you just read this for a second. And you're going to realize, wait a minute, I thought that was in Matthew. When, when you read it in Matthew, it was, it was, it was. Therefore, this again, these are words given to Judah who thinks they're about to die because they're about to go into some major war, some major battle. And here's what God decides. You know what you need? The Christmas story. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. These are people scared out of their minds. They have no idea that who Jesus is. Uh, okay, we're scared, we're scared. They're coming to kill us. Here, here's what you need to know. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll, we'll call him Emmanuel. What's going on? I can tell you what's going on. God's looking at a scared group of people who have no hope, and he knows the best thing he can offer them is saying, hey, you're wondering if I'm going to be with you. You're wondering if I see you. Think about your hopelessness. I bet you wondered, if, even if you didn't articulate it, if God saw you, understood you, it was acknowledging you, does God see you? So God, in their horrible situation, says, let me tell you something. I see you so much that in 700 years, I'm going to intervene in your life. He literally says, you want to know how much I'm with you? Well, when you're long gone, I'm still going to be fighting for you. And in fact, I have a master plan to save your very souls. He's saying, look to the future, but don't get caught in it. Trust me. I have promises for you. Trust me. Trust me. Here's the, here's the observation I have. You think differently when you know the outcome. God knew this, so he tells them the outcome. He says, okay, you're scared of right now. Well, 700 years, let me tell you, something's going to play out that changes everything, which means I refuse to abandon you. I refuse to abandon you. So you need to know the outcome. In our home, uh, this plays out when we watch TV or movies. I ask permission to tell you what I'm about to tell you. 
Uh, because it's about my wife, who is absolutely wonderful, and I am madly in love. Uh, my wife and I do not see eye to eye when it comes to what we watch. I prefer lots of things blowing up. I prefer blood, um, lots of it. I don't need the plot to make sense at all. Uh, I want to be entertained. But I remember when we started dating and, and she would like attend these movies with me, what I had no idea is she was terrified out of her mind. Even though I'm like, this is fake. Come on, this is no big deal. Well, what I found out was there was so much anxiety welling up in the plot and what was going on that it was stewing something in her that like made her just literally hate all this. So when we watch TV, that, oh, okay. if I say, let's watch a movie together, and she says, sure, here's what happens. We'll sit next to each other, and she will Google all of the details as we're watching the movie. Oh, she goes to the end fast. And she finds out how this plays out, and it begins to settle her heart. She's an amazing woman, is she not? Like, that she's willing to watch this with me. But that's how she gets through it, is she looks at the end, the outcome. And it does something to her heart. I think that's what God was helping the people of Judah say, hey, you're, you're afraid that I'm going to abandon you. I'm not going to. 700 years from now, I'm going to show up in person. What a beautiful thing for him to do. In fact, if you don't know the outcome, I can show you something that you might be very familiar with. <laughs> uh, for God to love the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Outcome. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, when you die, you don't actually, your soul doesn't die. You, you, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's outcome. So you and I are supposed to take verses like that and be like, okay, I got hope. Now what? Right? Okay, so John 3, 16, I've seen it posted all over the place. It seems like a cliche verse, but it's really in the Bible. It is a, it is a projected outcome for you and I to land on that we're supposed to grab. Like, wait a minute, outcome is no matter how bad my life is, no matter how up and down it is, if I follow him, if I'm actually committed to him, I will spend eternity with literally my creator in paradise. It's going to be amazing. This might suck, but that's going to be awesome. Hope, 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 right? So what about now? What about now? There's a couple observations I want to put in front of you. God's promises always include a process. And that is the stuff you and I do not like. Do you remember, I believe Joseph was grabbing a hold of a promise in order to have hope. Then he had to go through the process. Uh, Judah had to go through this. We all have to go through the process. There's a monk that said something. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be a monk, but this is cool. To hope is to risk frustration. I expected a bunch of amens, but it's fine. <laughs> to hope is to risk frustration. Therefore, make up your mind to risk frustration. See, many of us think that like getting this hope, when I read to you John 3, 16, you're like, David, that does not enter me into this bubble of blissfulness where I feel no pain. 
No, hope is frustrating. That's a part of it. You end up having to wait. You end up still facing stuff. You're like, man, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to. Reminder here, God's promise to Judah wasn't totally fulfilled for 700 years. So if in your mind, well, please, Pastor David, tell me how long I'll have to wait. Shoot for 700 years. I know you know this. I know you know this. I know you know this. It's my job sometimes to remind you of it. That in the midst of your hope, frustration can rise. And you know what happens when you get frustrated? We usually offer ultimatums. If you've ever uh, been married, do this or I'm parenting. I mean, I'm not even going to tell you how many times I've offered ultimatums. Clean that up, do this or else. Perhaps you've had a boss. Get this done or else. Maybe you've been a, had a teacher. Turn it in or else, right? Like ultimatums. If you have been recently offering ultimatums to people or at least thinking them, that probably means that you're frustrated at a high level, which probably means that you don't have much hope right now. You need to track those things. Because when you don't have hope, frustration wells up. And if you don't deal with the frustration and accept that I'm just going to be frustrated sometimes with people, that's going to leak out and you're going to start to mistreat people. Let me give you one more because I think this is important, especially during Christmas. Other people need your hope. So you're like, why do I deal with my frustration? What's a big deal? What's a big deal? Like, who cares? No one knows what I yell at people in my house. No one knows what I texted them, right? Like, what's the big deal? I can always say I'm sorry. What? No, no, no. I think other people need your hope. That's how important your hope is. Your hope is not just for you. Your hope is such a profound element that you have not only for your own soul, but to offer other people. Your hope, I believe, can actually influence other people. That's why we got to talk about, okay, I got hope. I need to hold on to the promises of God. Okay, I now need to distribute my hope to others. There's a story of a guy named Alexander. He has a last name. I just don't know how to pronounce it. He, uh, he was a Russian writer. And he, during the Soviet Union and the major, major communist time, he wrote against the Soviet Union. If you don't know your history, yeah, it was a no-no. You didn't do that. Probably still is a no-no. But uh, he wrote against communism, and oddly enough, he specifically wrote against the labor camps, the prisons of labor that, that they were running. So you know what they did with him. They got him and put him into a labor prison. That's how it worked. Well, in that labor prison, he went to a dark place. He went to a level of hopelessness. And here's what he resolved. I find this very sad. Um, they would go out to work and he would have this shovel. What he knew was that if you didn't work like you were supposed to work, the guards would attack you. So here's what he resolved. He was so hopeless. He went out with the plan. I'm going to go out. I'm going to put my shovel in the ground. I'm going to lean on my shovel. And I'm going to wait for the guards to come. And I want them to beat me to death. And he was going to do it until they literally beat him to death. So one day he went out, put a shovel right there in the ground, and leaned on it. The prisoner next to him saw him, obviously, going, what in the world? 
The story goes this way. This is true. The prisoner next to him reaches his shovel out over, draws a cross in the ground, just right in front of the prisoner. Alexander looks down, and it like cues hope in his soul. He had heard about Jesus. He knew what Jesus had done, but he had neglected it in his pain and in his hopelessness and had abandoned the promises of God. And as soon as he saw the cross, the prisoner, this is how dangerous it was, wiped the cross away. And they both began to work. And Alexander details that it was that day that he began to realize no matter how long he was in that prison, no matter how long this played out, he had enough hope that he was going to hold on to. I wonder if you would be willing, uh, whether your life is going perfect or not, would you be willing to stretch your shovel over to someone's life and bring hope in some way? I know life's not perfect, but I think you and I hold a calling. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are actually like, yes, I believe Jesus is my Savior, John 3, 16, Pastor David, I got to memorize. I've owned that. That's mine. Cool. Then know that there is a process you go through, and one of them is deliver hope to as many people as possible. This Christmas season, come on. Let's be a source of hope for people. It's not that complicated. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for meeting with us. Thanks for a lesson that goes back years upon years upon years. Wow, God. Um, you know what plays out 700 years from now. Lord, I pray for everyone right now who feels hopelessness. Would you remind them that you will not leave them? Lord, right now, for those who are even in the moments of wanting to just to quit, to end everything, Lord, would you stop them and remind them there is hope available through you. Lord, we as a church commit to you to be in a place that people will find hope. They will learn about you, discover you, fall in love with you, worship you. Lord, empower us and give us opportunity to spread hope all over. We pray this in your name. Amen.